What is up, everyone? Thanks for listening to the R4 Podcast, a podcast about reading, running, relationships, and reinvesting into the community and how those four different things uh, work for me and just make me a happier person and, and make the world a better place, right? Whether it's immediately around me or uh, in the bigger picture. So those are the four things that I, I try to consistently do. Now, today, I've got another special guest. And uh, we'll talk more about that here in a moment, but let's run through the Rooney recap real quick. These are the things that have been going on with me and the family just over the last, you know, couple weeks or so since the last podcast. And uh, man, it's just been been crazy busy. Um, if you're on the newsletter, the R4 podcast newsletter, you kind of have a, you know, insight into what I'm already going to say. But uh, if you're not, then you need to get on the newsletter. And how do you do that? You message me your email address, and I will add you to the newsletter. So, what's up? Um, I've got a career change going, so full-blown career change. And that's something uh, that I want to talk about in a different podcast. I have somebody in mind. Actually, I have two people in mind that I'd really like to talk about um, this career change, and that is going back to manufacturing. So, and I say that with a lot of pride. Um, American manufacturing, I hold very close to my heart. I've done it for over a decade. Um, I took a break for about two years, and that was more due to circumstance than me wanting to try something else. The uh, steel manufacturing plant that I worked for had closed its location um, in Omaha, Nebraska, where I worked, and relocated uh, their manufacturing processes to Illinois. Great company. I hold no grudges against them or anything like that. That's just nature of the business. But I uh, had to take a break from that. Did two years of insurance and property adjusting. Over that time, I've worked with a ton of farmers. I've worked with a ton of contractors. And I've heard a ton of amazing stories. And I'm grateful for all those experiences. But uh, property adjusting, just not my thing. Right. So again, back to manufacturing, it is for me and uh, doing some quality and process improvement types of things. And that's, that's my wheelhouse. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm really grateful for the company that picked me up. And uh, again, I've got a couple people in mind that I like to talk to about that. But that's really what's been up. I'm just transitioning out of uh, one career field and then back into another. Apart from that, stuff with the family. Uh, one kid in sports at the moment, so that's uh, kept us a little busy, right? So other than that, man, it's just been been all over the place. Still working on the basement, bought a bunch of doors, which by the way, doors are ridiculously expensive. Um, and these are just regular doors, right? They're not like solid oak doors. They're hollow core doors um, with the casing. Uh, by the time you do the door the hardware to include the handle, the hinges, the uh, encasement, the trim, and paint, you're well over $300 a door. And these aren't even like, these are budget doors. <laughs> They're not even like super high quality doors, but uh, ridiculous. So enough about that. All right, I've got another guest coming on and uh, another local guy, another uh, nonprofit, and it's the veteran nonprofit. And the name of the nonprofit's Operation 22 Till Freedom. The founder, his name's Justin Thompson. He's a Marine Corps veteran, um, infantryman. He was in Fallujah. He's been to Iraq a few different times. And, you know, 
he started doing the math after he got out of the Marine Corps. And the, the long story short is he started losing more friends after returning home after the war um, than they were losing overseas. And, and that's a pretty common trend throughout the, the veteran community, I believe. So I have his story. Um, interview with him uh, again, Justin. I I really appreciate you doing the podcast. Um, let's get into it. Let's go. All right, hey everyone. Thanks for listening to the R Four Podcast today. I have another special guest, Justin Thompson, uh, founder of Operation Twenty Two Till Freedom. It's a local veteran nonprofit around the Council Bluffs Omaha area, and uh, you know I'm excited to have him on and talk about OTTF and how it started um, and just the, in my eyes kind of the crazy expansion that's happened over the last I would say roughly five years so without, yeah. uh, without any further ado Justin Thompson how's it going pretty good man how you doing thank you for having me on dude thanks for uh, for accepting the invitation so you know I remember was it was it about 2018 or so when OTTF started uh, the idea came right after Christmas of 2018. Um, okay. so that's when it all things started formulating together. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I'm thinking back, you know, I don't know if you remember or not. I'll pick your brain. So 2018, like I just came off a deployment. I came home in December of 2018 and, uh, started up kind of a little woodworking business back then. And like the idea was like, not so much to just pocket the money, but like try to give back. And, uh, man, I think early on, I know I'd, I'd hooked you, hooked you guys up with some, uh, like raffle things where I raffled something off and donated the money. Now, I don't know if you remember that or not, cause you've had a lot going on since then, but, uh, you know, things like that do just make me super happy and, uh, to see how far OTTF has come, uh, is, is exciting. I, I think that's pretty cool, but, uh, Enough about that, man. Let's talk about you. So before, uh, before you joined the Marines, what was Justin doing? Uh, the, I was a troublemaker in high school. I, was, uh, I played football, but once uh, 9-11 hit, me and my best friend, we were walking through the mall, and uh, some goofy dude in some ugly-looking uh, um, form approached us. And I, I, I you know it was like the it was a dress blue deltas. It's a short sleeve shirt and blue pants, and it's a tan shirt, blue pants. I'm like, what? That's dumb. And uh, he kind of suckered he he kind of suckered us in there, and we fell in love right away. We enlisted um, in the debt program like a like a month and a half later, and we were just waiting to go, waiting for uh, after we graduated, and we took off. So, so. You're cruising the mall, recruiter hits you up, and it's like, what do you think about the Marine Corps? And uh, and you guys were in. Yeah, I mean, he chose the video. I was like, oh, that's exactly what I want to do. Because, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I, I, was a, I was a young, dumb kid, and I, I always wanted to be a SEAL. And then, you know, he's like, well, how, how good are you at swimming? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I was like, well, if you can't swim, you can't be a SEAL. I'm like, yeah, that probably makes sense. So um, <laughs> I, got, I got better at swimming. Um, nowhere near the, the, the seal level, obviously, but I, so the Marine Corps was a better fit for me. Yeah. I, mean, I remember that, uh, recruiting station there in the mall. Yep. Um, that's, where, that's where I enlisted too. Now I, I enlisted, you know, a few years later, I enlisted in 09. Um, okay. but yeah, I, I remember walking in there into the recruiter station. And at that point, I mean, at 2009, everybody was pretty much 
everybody who enlisted five, 10 years earlier had already been deployed like two or three times. Right. So like for the new guys coming in, like they had a pretty good idea of what they're signing up for. And I walked right. into the, I walked into the recruiting station and then the recruiters like, uh, how can I help you? I'm like, uh, looking at joining the army. And he goes, do you have an appointment? I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> wow. I was like, do I need one? He's like, oh, no, come over here. He's like, right. sit, in this, sit in this chair. <laughs> wow. But, uh, yeah, dude, that, that recruiting station in the mall, that was kind of wild back in the day. Right. But, uh, but anyways, all right, so what year was it that you joined? I, I enlisted, um, it would have been 02 in the debt program, and then uh, we actually went to boot camp in 03. In 03. Yeah. Right. So uh, that was that was early on in in the Iraq time. Um, yeah. Already in, already in Afghanistan at that point, as far as like the U.S. military is right. And right. You know, for you, it sounds like nine eleven was one of the big factors for uh, for considering joining. Yeah, I mean, once that hit, I mean, I wasn't going to go anywhere. You know, be your, be your typical you know council bless boy or whatever, just stay at home yep. and. Um, but I want to do something in my life. So I want to get out and see the world. And obviously that's what, that's one of the things they tell you is you get out and see the world. Um, but when I was in boot camp is when we actually invaded Iraq. So we, I knew I was going to deploy somewhere, um, whether it be Iraq or Afghanistan before I even enlisted or enjoined. But, uh, in, in boot camp, we took down or we started going to Iraq. So I knew I figured we'd probably be going there. And, uh, yeah, so that's what, uh, we looked out for and it was a good time, I guess. Yeah, and then uh, tell me, tell me a little bit. You've got a couple deployments, right? A couple deployments. Yeah, three. Three. Okay. Uh, and I know. I mean, just from following you online um, and stuff like that, like you were, you were in Fallujah, right? Yeah, we were in the second battle, of Fallujah, which happened in November um, of '04. The first one was, I believe, is April of '04, and it was a cluster. It was a cluster from all get out. So they. From my understanding, they gave it to the Iraqi National Guard, who pretty much just let it go back to waste. And then um, we wanted to make a stand, and we got the word in, I want to say October, late September, early October, that we we're going to pull out of our town that we were in, which is about 10 miles to the east of Fallujah, and revamp our, all of our vehicles and gear up. And we did that toward the end of October, and then the actual battle started on, the, I want to say, the 7th. But we actually didn't get boots on the ground till the 9th. Because, uh, you know, the big boys, the air, all the air and Artie, they took care of most of the stuff prior to us to even step a foot inside. So, And then we took down the city from the north to the south. Sure. And then, and then leading up to that, you know, while you guys are uh, – you're at your muster point or, or whatever, you know, you guys are – prepping all your gear, getting your uh, equipment ready. Like what's going through, what's going through Justin's mind? Finally, um, take the leases off us. Cause uh, for the first three months that we were in country, I mean, we just got our asses handed to us cause they wouldn't fight us. All they would do is blow us up. Um, and they, they send rockets at us. I mean, from, you know, a thousand yards out or whatever, and drop mortars on us, but there's never no um, small arms conflict. Um, so we knew this is going to be a small arms in your face, door to door, um, operation going on. So, and we had a lot of our guys, even before we hit Fallujah, you know, they got taken out of the fight from wounds, from whatever. 
Um, so we, it's uh, our time to get redemption. So we were, we were pumped. We were, we we're excited as all hell. Hell yeah, man. And then, you know, in between, you know, I, I can't say necessarily that during something like that, that you're going to have downtime because that just doesn't exist really in those kind of environments. Like there's going to no. be, there's going to be lulls for sure right? Um, here and there, but downtime's not really a thing like the op tempo you're going and, uh, every day every day so when you did get when you did get some downtime whether it's you know uh where whenever wherever or even on a different deployment uh what did you do in your downtime um well if, if you talk about like our typical deployment then they we had kind of like a like, like a rotation we did um, we do a certain amount of days of ops, certain amount of days of um, security around around our FOB, and then a few days of um, QRF, which is like a quick reactionary force. Yep. And and then we do R and R. We kind of rotate all the platoons through that. But um, during the actual operation of Fallujah, no, there was no downtime. The only downtime you had was at night when the sun dropped, because um, they they didn't want us clearing buildings when it's dark out. Yeah, and, th- and that um, makes total that makes total sense. Yeah, you, you just get. I mean, yeah, we have MVGs and thermals, but there was a lot of booby trap houses, and it would just it would be a mass casualty on our side. So it was just better off we just pick a house, stay in that for the night, and set up post and uh, keep pushing the next day. Rock on, man! So was that deployment number one that or was, two? That was that was the first one. First one, rock. Back. And you had a couple after that, then. So, yeah. Uh, how how were those in comparison? Boring. Very boring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't you can't really. It's hard to judge because you go from the absolute um, high of you know going through Fallujah. Because I mean, after we took down Fallujah, they sent us home. Um, we uh, we took over the city. We maintained ops. We ran patrols through the city for about a month, and then our our tour was over. So we went home. And then uh, we go home and re- refit and revamp for tour number two for us, for me. And so we go over there and we obviously you don't have a Fallujah every tour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, they say Fallujah was the biggest urban combat battle since um, Way City, Vietnam. So we weren't expecting anything like that, but it got, yeah, it was very redundant and boring. I mean, we did our job. We did, we had, you know, but honestly, when it's redundant and boring, that's when that's when you become more uh, even closer with your buddies because you know you have more downtime. Um, it's not chaos. You know you actually have a little more a little bit more fun. Um, talk to the locals there, you know, and kind of establish a rapport with the people and not just try to kill them. Um, <laughs> actually, actually, you know, do what we're actually over there to do. Yeah. So, what uh, was, what year what year was your last rotation? Oh seven. Um, I I extended my contract to go on uh, a Mew because, well, when I enlisted, I wanted to see the world, and uh, they they give us an option of either extend our contract to go on a Mew, or get back from our second tour, rotate to a new unit, and deploy within thirty days. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm like, well, I get home from this moment, I'll have two weeks off of leave. And so that will took me about two weeks out before they deploy, which they'll be on their two week pre-deployment leave. So I won't even get to know these people, these, these Marines before I deploy with them. That's, that's just not smart. So yeah. about 98% of our battalion um, it, that came in with me, we all up to go on a Mew. 
and uh, go see, you know, quote unquote, the world. But uh, as soon as we left San Diego Harbor, we sailed right back to Iraq. So, uh, <laughs> right, right. And, and we got extended. So, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting. But we, we did get some ports. We saw Guam and Singapore and Australia, Hawaii, um, Dubai, and uh, Bahrain, but, and more of Iraq. But yeah, yeah. So that was kind of the, that was kind of it for me. Like, um, like the joke was on you. Like I'm gonna right, go, yeah, pretty, yeah, I'm gonna well, go do something else, and they ship you right back. <laughs> well, and then the, the even the icing on the cake was the guys who didn't extend, who guys who wanted to stay and drop to a new unit. There's only like there's only like ten of them. So all that paperwork involved of dropping a marine from one unit to another one, they didn't want to deal with that because we're getting ready to deploy again. So they just gave them like cushy jobs at the gym, at the pool. Like what? No, what? That's that's an end, you know. <laughs> So that that was that was icing on the cake there. So nice, man. So uh, did you get out shortly after that third one? Then yeah, I got I got I got I think I got home in late November, and I was home two weeks later on terminal leave. Gotcha. And then so, I officially, officially got out in January of '08. Okay, okay. So you know, and I've talked to numerous other veterans, um, and they talk about the transition out of the military. Uh, you know, being not easy um just for the lack of any other description um and you know and i i'm in the reserve i've been in the reserve for 14 years um couple deployments overseas now with that being said i can't relate to coming off of active duty back into the civilian world but coming off of deployment back into the civilian world like that transition it's just funky, right? Because you're with right. a group of people. It's, you're with a group of people overseas, and you get to know them really well. And you go do some, you know, possibly wild and crazy things with them. And then when you come home, you essentially, you know, get scattered. Both of the units that I deployed with were not my home unit. They weren't my right. organic. I was cross leveled to another one in Kansas, and then I joined a different one over in Omaha. But neither one were organic, right? So when we came home, we all went back to our home units. And it's like you're kind of on an island by yourself, but you're at home. Right. Right. And uh, what was coming off of active duty after three tours, you know, back back in the civilian world like for you? It was a nightmare, um, say the least. Um, I mean, I'm, at this time, I'm 22 years old. I'm on top of the world. I survived, you know, three tours. I got a decent amount of cash in my, my, my bank account, you know, and. Um, pretty much drank through that in about six months. So I've heard uh, that. I've heard that so many times. Right, uh, a lot of bar fights. Um, unfortunately, I, was, I mean, just just young and stupid. And then you finally, uh, I don't know, something one day, something snaps, and you like, I got, I got to change something. Uh, I had a couple of those, and and I'm grateful for them because they bettered my life since those moments. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's a nightmare getting out. Because it's a whole new lifestyle. I mean, before you know, you, you had free food, you had free housing, you had free everything. Um, all you had to do is get up and go run. You know, I was in the infantry, so that's all we did. And I, I didn't have a nine to five job in the Marine Corps. It's mine was infantry, so if we weren't in the field training, we were back doing some kind of classes on weapons or whatever. Um, so when you get out, you know, you have to get a real job, and you realize that you don't make enough money to survive. So you guys keep doing what you gotta do and just keep pushing. And finally something clicks in your head where you wake up. Like I gotta, you know, not be 17 years old anymore and be a man. And let's figure this crap out. 
and uh, go from there. Yeah, that responsibility comes on real quick. Real quick. Uh, you know, and, uh, and not a lot of people, not maybe not enough people, you know, in the grand scheme of things, know. Well, no one knows what to do. That's the thing. Like, when you come out of that um, military lifestyle back into the civilian world, and I don't care if you're if you're coming off of a deployment or if you're coming off active duty right. or, or whatever, it's, it's a weird transition. And it, mm-hmm. it does like, if you stay in the, if you stay in the funk, like it'll take you down. The, it, yeah. The, that path is much different than if you get out of it. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I would like to say after, for me, after deployment, number one, uh, what, what kept me, out of the funk, I guess you could say, because I, I I drank a bunch too. I ate a bunch of shit food, gained weight. Right. Um, but uh, like one thing that stayed consistent for me was was working out. Um, yep. And, I, and and I've done that ever since. And then after after deployment number two, um, coming back 2018, um, reading was something that I picked up. And then that's you know fast forward, you know six, seven years later, I I didn't even like reading books until I was 30 years old. Mm -hmm. But, uh, does Justin read? I do not. Um, I've very busy, um, for reading, but, uh, I have found an odd thing where, uh, like puzzles, I I, I like, um, something to keep my mind busy. Um, and I do a lot of like, uh, cause I have, I have TBI from my first tour. So my memory is, terrible and uh one thing i found that it's been helping me quite a bit is like memory games um, sure. just like uh, hiding or not, not hide and seek but like you know like, like little flashcards or whatever just just stuff like that keep my, my brain active um because i tried reading and the problem with reading was i couldn't retain what, the last paragraph before that now i mean it could be adhd it could be tbi it could be a numerous numerous things but sure sure it, it just wasn't working it wasn't working for me so i had i want to try something else and memory games is what really caught my eye about two years ago and it's really done me wonders now yeah you know and something else uh and this is something i don't even really talk about but as far as like keeping the mind going right. um i've always i've always liked to draw yep. i've always been kind of uh artistic in a way like not not good at it by any means but you know, but, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but like it definitely keeps keeps the mind firing um puzzles do as well and you know my kids and and whatnot we all we all like to play board games and, and things like that and try to stump each other on stuff and and keep the mind sharp and i think uh people doing whatever they can to keep their keep their mind sharp keep their brain going um and not just be an autopilot i mean i think that's so so important right uh, you know and another thing you know kind of alluded to it earlier was was working out and i know but most of the people listening probably you know they don't know you but uh you're no stranger to a gym so what uh what what got you into working out were you always into working out i mean yeah I, i was i was for a long time um obviously for football and all that stuff but never really took it serious um one because I was I drank all the time, so y- you know. And then I don't know I don't know what it was, but something changed. I, tr- I tried a new workout and it really um, got me thinking clearly in the gym, and m- it motivated me more than just like your typical football workout or whatever. And it's, it's pushed me since, and then that's what I've kind of stuck with, kind of uh, 
kind of made my own formula with it. What, you know, workouts work the best for me um, at this tempo. And, you know, and that's what, then I started seeing the gains. I started start seeing progress. I started, my mental health got a lot better. Um, it helped me, it motivated me to put the bottle down years ago. Um, that's 